0: morning. It's
1: a rainy day, but look at you all here, smiling and happy, I'm sure. It is a joy to welcome you all to worship this morning. Thank you for being here. We pray for God's blessing over our time together and for your time as we have opportunity to seek the Lord together in word, in prayer together, as we have opportunity to sit under God's word, preach to us, and later we'll have opportunity to see the word. Uh, as we partake in the Lord's Supper together. So we have opportunity to see and and set our hearts and minds on how God takes people from death to life through the death of his son Jesus Christ. And so we have the elements of the Lord's Supper to remind us of that glorious reality, that blessed reality. So we do pray that you are blessed in the time that we have together to worship the Lord together. Guests, if we have any guests here, would encourage you. On the pew in front of you, you'll see a visitor card there, and we'd ask if you would fill out the little bit of information that's on that card, and then in between the aisles as you exit, you'll notice uh, boxes on a table, and you can just slip those in there, and that'll just give us a way to reach out to you and see how we can minister to you here at Edgewood, and Edgewood members would encourage you as you have opportunity As you uh, look around throughout the service, make sure if you see anybody that looks unfamiliar uh, or might be a guest with us today, that you welcome them in the Lord, um, all to God's glory. A few announcements before we get started with our time in worship. One, we have a music camp for our youth coming up in June. They went last summer, and they had an excellent time together, and we'll be going back again. So for any of our youth, 6th to 12th grade, that are interested in, uh, in music, uh, I would encourage you to think about the trip, and if you would like more details, you can see uh, Andy Johnson, and he'll give you some more details and info on the camp. And then choir will be starting back up next Sunday, February 11th at 4.30 p.m. So if you're interested in singing in the choir, that will be next uh, next Sunday, 4.30 p.m. They'll be preparing songs for our Good Friday service, and then for a concert that they'll do later in April uh, called the Hymns of Faith. And then tonight, tonight's a, a big evening for... Edgewood. So for all members, we have our members meeting tonight at 6 o'clock here in the sanctuary. We'll have child care available for ages 3 and under. So uh, here in the sanctuary, member meeting, would encourage you to be there. Our member meetings are always extremely beneficial, encouraging times to be together. So if you're able, uh, please be here tonight at 6. I'm
0: going to encourage you to stand to your feet as we hear the Lord call us into worship this morning. In Psalm chapter 93, verses 1 and 2, the Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. Let's continue to praise him. May the peoples praise you.
2: You have caught us out of darkest night Into your glorious light That we may sing the wonders of the risen Christ May our every breath retell the grace That broke into our sight With boundless love and deepest joy within Life. may the people praise you let the nations be glad all your blessings come that we may praise may praise the name of Jesus you sound great let's keep it up to him this morning all the earth is yours and all with harvest is your own and from your hand we give to you to make christ go may the seeds of mercy grow in us for those who have not heard may songs of praise build lives of christ to spread your word may the people Let the nations be glad. All your blessings, flow and we may praise. May praise the name of Jesus.
0: It is a privilege to declare your praise and your name. Amen. Let's proclaim that. It's our holy privilege
2: to declare your praises and your name. Every nation, tribe, and tongue, your church, proclaim. may the people raise you. Let the nations be glad. All your blessings go that we may praise. They praise the name of Jesus. We say, Holy. the lord almighty worthy worthy is we just sing it louder to him holy holy
3: Good morning. I'm going to lead us in uh, prayer and confession. Uh, But if you want to turn to Isaiah 1 uh, for our verse reading of Pardon of Assurance. All right, let's pray. Father, we we know that that you are the Holy One, and you call us to be holy in, in all our conduct, in all our behavior. And so, Father, we ask for your forgiveness in those times that we are not. When we behave angrily with our children, when we behave selfishly with our spouse, when we behave dishonorably with our friends, behave in disobedience to our moms and dads, behave in unforgiving ways to others. Ultimately against you and only you have we sinned. Father, would you hear our cries for help? Help us to come to a place of true repentance. Help our heart to be more contrite. Help us to really understand what your word says about our weakness. That your pleasure is not in strength of man, but that you delight in those who are broken. We look to you in our weakness and cry, Abba, Father, that your favor is on the humble and contrite in spirit. So I ask for this, for myself and for our Edgwood family, that you would transform our heart attitude as we come to you this morning and as we daily flee to you. You are merciful. It is who you are, and so we have confidence in you to have mercy on us and to forgive us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, uh, please turn to Isaiah 1, verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they should be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they should be as wool.
0: to ask if you would uh, stand to your feet as we continue to praise the Lord through song as we confess that he will hold us fast.
2: my faith will fail Christ will hold me fast when the tempter would prevail he will hold me fast I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path for my love is often cold he must hold are His delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in His holy sight, He will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Caught by Him at such a cost.
0: as we proclaim that great is his faithfulness throughout all generations into eternity
2: Let us rejoice. Pardon for sin. Pardon for sin and a peace. That
1: Encourage you to turn with me to Matthew chapter twenty-eight. Matthew chapter twenty-eight. If you find yourself uh, sin-sick this morning, or weary and exhausted from the week that has gone on, if you find that your heart is cold and dull, what a great comfort we have—we've been assured of this morning in the songs that we've sung. That while we struggle to hold on to the Lord, He holds us fast. And His compassions never fail. His compassions fail not. As the God that we come and worship and seek today, a God whose love and mercy and grace to us is so far beyond our comprehension, that He would love us. That while we were sinners, uh, while we were enemies, He would set His love upon us and save us through the work of His Son, Jesus Christ, by the powerful working of the Spirit. His compassions, His mercies, they do not fail. That's the God that we come and seek today together. Uh, As today is the first Sunday of the month and we have opportunity to partake in the Lord's Supper together today, we have our, uh, for the first Sunday, we always love to have our praiseful age kids, kindergarten through second grade, in the service uh, and it's because we, we think they need to be in here because they're little minds that are so curious and inquisitive about all that's going on, about the things that are being passed all over the place, and that tiny cracker in the juice, what's going on with that? They begin to ask questions, and we think that's a good thing. And so even what we pray, and having our kids in the service today is that they would be curious, that they would be inquisitive, that they would ask questions about what does that mean, what does that represent, so that we can, just like the Israelites, when their kids ask them questions about the Passover, we can say, oh, let me tell you about the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ and what Jesus did for us. Let me tell you about the gospel. All right, Let me tell you about Jesus. And we get to do that. We have the opportunity to proclaim the gospel to our children. But we also recognize as we come together uh, today that there might be not just children who do not yet know the Lord, but adults who are here today who do not yet know the Lord. And not just with us, but then we think as we're here today, maybe we're thinking about maybe adult children who are maybe wandering in faith or don't know the Lord who aren't here with us today. Or maybe we're thinking about neighbors, or we're thinking about friends, we're thinking about coworkers who we love and care for, who do not know the salvation that's found in Jesus Christ. And so what we want to do today during our pastoral prayer is actually spend some time praying for ourselves first, that God would bless the ministry here at Edgewood so that we as the saints would go out fully equipped for the work of the Lord to proclaim the gospel to those who so desperately need to hear it. And in that, we want to set our hearts and minds in prayer On those who we care about who we love who we know maybe we are already ministering to who do not yet know the Lord maybe we want to set our hearts and minds on some children in the room and pray for them that the Lord would do a work of salvation in their lives so let's go to the Lord in prayer praying that he would give us grace to be faithful to disciple and proclaim the gospel to those who need it and pray that God would do the work that he delights to do which is to save sinners All right, so we're gonna read from Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 through the end of the chapter. Then we'll go to the Lord in a time of prayer. After I read the passage, we'll go to the Lord in a time of silent prayer, where you can pray to the Lord along those lines. And you can be specifically in prayer for people who are coming to mind. And then I'll close our time in prayer together. So let's read Matthew 28, verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, Holy Father, we do thank you for the salvation that is found in you and in you alone because of what you have done for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, not because of anything within us that was deserving or earning of such love and such a sacrifice, but rather we were completely deserving of judgment for our sins. But out of love, according to your great mercy, you, Father... Set your love upon us and sent your son to take upon himself our sins. To become the propitiation for our sins that we so desperately needed to take upon himself. The wrath that we deserve for our sins so that we could be forgiven. So that we could be cleansed and so that we could be reconciled to you. And we thank you that you have sent to us your Holy Spirit who pours that love into our hearts who brings, as the Spirit of truth, that truth to our hearts, that we might know it, believe it, confess it within our hearts. And so we thank you that you have brought us into salvation that's found in you and in you alone. In that, Lord God, we pray that you would continue to mature us, build us up, that we might be equipped for every good work. Lord God, as we come today and are encouraged to sing these glorious truths about who you are and what you've done and what you're doing in our lives as we sit under the word preached, as we see the word in the Lord's Supper. We pray that we would be people who then go out after experiencing such a great love in you that we would be desirous to share your love in proclaiming the gospel and preaching the gospel to those who so desperately need to hear it. As we saw in First Peter today in Sunday School, you, bring, you delight to bring people from death to life through the preaching and proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. So would you help us to be faithful to go and proclaim and to make disciples? Lord God, would you cause us to be faithful to make disciples within our households to our children? Would you help us within our houses to point our children to Jesus Christ? And would you help us as a church to come alongside the families that are here represented today to disciple and point, come alongside these parents and grandparents to point others, more children, to Jesus? Would you help us? Lord God, we also pray that you would give us grace to build relationships and to get to know the people around us, whether it be neighbors, whether it be friends, whether it be coworkers people we interact with at school and different events and extracurriculars. Lord God, would you bless us with opportunity and help us to be faithful to proclaim the gospel, again, to those who are lost, who are dead in their sins, who desperately need to know of the salvation that's found in Jesus, and help us to disciple, teaching them to observe all that you have commanded us. So, Lord God, would you cause us here at Edgewood and the churches in this area to become increasingly faithful to you, In proclaiming the gospel. Would you bless us today? Would you be glorified and exalted in our time together, and even be sanctifying us and drawing some to salvation, we would pray. So bless this time for your glory and for our good in you. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. Now that you've had time to rest those legs, we're going to stand again as we continue to praise our Father through song. Christ is our true and better.
2: Christ the true and better Adam, Son of God and Son of Man, Who, when tempted in the garden, never yielded, never sinned, He who makes the many righteous brings us back to life again. Dying he reversed the curse and rising crushed the serpent's own. Christ the true and better rising, humble son of sacrifice. To offer up his life, laid with faith upon the altar, Father's joy. True and better, Roses called to lead a people home, standing bold to earthly powers, God's great glory to be known with his arms stretched wide to heaven. Thy in our place, He fled and conquered. Crowned Him Lord of Majesty, we shall be throne forever. one shall? I
4: have your Bible with you uh, open to Leviticus chapter 11, <clears throat> Leviticus chapter 11. Initially I thought that, um, that I was going to, going to take this, uh, this unit on purity or um, the, uh, the Lord instructing his people in uh, what counts as clean and unclean. Um, that, that section begins in chapter 11 and actually runs through it, it culminates or climaxes in chapter 16. Uh, but the, the more that I read over and, and over again, uh, chapter 11, is just such an odd chapter for most of us, right? Talking about the, the kinds of animals you can eat and not eat. It seems so random and so detached or disconnected from anything that it seemed like it might be good just to spend a little bit of time in chapter 11 and then maybe next week uh, try to take the, uh, the rest of the unit together um, to dig in to some other angles about what it means for God's people to be clean and pure. So let's do this, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I'm going to read not, not every verse in this chapter but a good section of it, we'll, we'll hop around so that you get a good feel for what's here and then we'll pray. <clears throat> Hang on just a second. I blame Andy for the good singing. Uh, we'll read, and then we'll pray, and uh, then we'll, we'll try to work our way through. So start with me in chapter 11, Leviticus 11, uh, verses 1 through 12. Then we'll skip to verse 26 and read some verses, and then we'll skip to verse 43. But I'll I'll, I'll make sure you're tracking along as we go. Leviticus 11, 1 through 12. The Lord spoke again to Moses and to Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, These are the creatures which you may eat from all the animals that are on the earth. Whatever divides a hoof, thus making split hoofs, and choose the cud among the animals that you may eat. Nevertheless, you are not to eat of these among those which chew the cud, or among those which divide the hoof. The camel, for though it chews the cud, it does not divide the hoof, it is unclean to you. Likewise the chefan, for though it chews cud, it does not divide the hoof, it is unclean to you. The rabbit also for though it chews cud, it does not divide the hoof, it is unclean to you. And the pig for though it divides the hoof, thus making a split hoof, it does not chew the cud, it is unclean to you. You shall not eat of their flesh, nor touch their carcasses. They are unclean to you. These you may eat, whatever is in the water. All that have fins and scales, those in the water, in the seas or in the rivers, you may eat. But whatever is in the seas and in the rivers that does not have fins and scales among all the teeming life of the water and among all the living creatures that are in the water, they are detestable things to you, and they shall be abhorrent to you. You may not eat of their flesh, and their carcasses you shall detest. Whatever in the water does not have fins and scales is abhorrent to you. And then from there, there's a category or a description of the kind of birds that are clean and unclean. I can tell by the looks on most of your faces that you're enraptured as we're going through these verses. Skip ahead to verse 26. Concerning all the animals which divide the hoof, but do not make a split hoof, or which do not chew cud, they are unclean to you. Whoever touches them becomes unclean. Also, whatever walks on its paws among all the creatures that walk on all fours are unclean to you. Whoever touches their carcasses becomes unclean until evening. And the one who picks up their carcasses shall wash his clothes and be clean and be unclean until evening. They are unclean to you. Now these are to you the unclean among the swarming things which swarm on the earth, the mole and the mouse and the great lizard and its kind, and the gecko and the crocodile and the lizard and the sand reptile and the chameleon. These are to you the unclean among all the swarming things. Whoever touches them when they are dead becomes unclean until evening. Also, anything on which one of them may fall when they are dead becomes unclean, including any wooden article or clothing or a skin or a sack, any article of which use is made, it shall be put in the water and be unclean until evening, then it becomes clean. As for any earthenware vessel into which one of them may fall, whatever is in it becomes unclean and you shall break the vessel. Any of the food which may be eaten on which water comes shall become unclean, and any liquid which may be drunk in every vessel shall become unclean. Everything moreover on which part of their carcass may fall becomes unclean. An oven or a stove shall be smashed. They are unclean and shall continue as unclean to you." Now skip ahead to verse 43. Do not render yourselves detestable through any of the swarming things that swarm, and you shall not make yourselves unclean with them so that you become unclean. And then pay close attention. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. And you shall not make yourselves unclean with any of the swarming things that swarm on the earth, For I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus you shall be holy, for I am holy. This is the law regarding the animal and the bird and every living thing that moves in the waters and everything that swarms on the earth, to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean, and between the edible creature and the creature which is not to be eaten. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to see with greater clarity, perhaps to a greater degree, just how far removed we are from you in your holiness. That were it not for the work of Christ on our behalf, there would be no way that we could draw near to you. There certainly would be no way that we could enter into your presence and hope to remain. We thank you for the blood of Christ. We thank you for the washing of the water of your word and your spirit that makes us clean. May we praise you and rejoice in this chapter here in Leviticus today as we see the gospel being preached and declared in the forerunner to the ministry and work of Christ. And it's in his name we pray, amen. One of the things that might help us is to consider the way that Leviticus is beginning to unfold or has been unfolding up to this point. Remember, Leviticus is very much part of the storyline, the narrative of Israel's history and how God has redeemed a people for Himself, not just to free them from slavery, but to free them from slavery so that they can enjoy a relationship with Him in His presence and in full fellowship. So. God tells His people to build a tabernacle so that He can dwell among them. That's completed by the end of Exodus 40, but Exodus 40 ends with the glory of the Lord filling the tabernacle such that not even Moses can come in. How will a sinful, unholy people be able to approach or draw near a holy God like this? And Leviticus opens by saying that the Lord called to Moses... And in the first seven chapters explains to Moses how it is that sinful, unholy people will be able to approach a sinless holy God. It will be by way of sacrifice. A substitute must be made to atone for your sins. But then God's holiness is such that as sinful people like you and I come to draw near in worship, even with the best of intentions we are not qualified even to bring and to offer up our own sacrifice to the Lord. That is how holy He is, and so the only way that He can receive a sacrifice from us is if there is a priest set aside, made holy for that specific ministry, to receive from the people and to offer up on their behalf sacrifices that make it possible for them to enter near to the Lord. The priest must be made holy. The priest must be set apart for this special work. And then as we saw last week, God's holiness is such that even for those priests who have been given the freedom or have been qualified, set apart to minister within the tabernacle, to even enter in within the tent, even those individuals, if they walk in disobedience, If they defile or in any way diminish the glory and the holiness of God, even they cannot stand in the presence of God. Aaron's two sons disobeyed the Lord in chapter 10, and they are struck dead on the spot. So even the priest cannot violate God's holiness. Certainly those who would come from outside the tabernacle must be careful as they approach. What you have then, and in chapter 10, if you look back at chapter 10, verses 10 and 11, let me show you the connection that that is made from chapter 10, the tragic death of Nadab and Abihu with chapter 11 that we have today. In chapter 10, verses 10 and 11, the Lord tells to Aaron, says to Aaron that he and his sons are not to drink when they're on duty so that they will be of sober mind and clear head because, in verse 10, they need to make a distinction between the holy and the common and between the unclean and the clean. They need to be able to know the difference between the holy and common, the unclean and the clean. And then if you look in chapter 11, skip down to the end of the chapter, In verse 47, all of these laws about the animals, the Lord says at the end of chapter 11, is to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean, exactly what He said in chapter 10. So in light of the fact that God has struck down two of the priests, to show and to demonstrate that His holiness cannot be toyed around with, that His glory is of infinite importance, because He still wants His people to come, God in His grace and mercy is going to tell them, here is what will enable you to come. You need to make sure that you are, as a priest, holy and set apart, as the people coming from outside, approaching, drawing near, you need to be clean. So there are two main categories, and this will help you think through these purity laws. There are two main categories, the holy and the common. Some of your virgins may say something like holy and profane. All right, holy and common helps us to think more clearly about what's going on here. Holy is any one or anything that is uniquely set apart for the Lord, such as the priest. Anyone who's not holy, like a priest, is common, Common is not bad, it just means that you don't have a special designation or a special relationship for the ministry or for the tabernacle. But within the the category of common, which almost all of the other people would have fallen under that category, common people can be either clean or unclean. If a common person is clean, they can go to the tabernacle. They can remain within the camp. If a common person is not clean, they can't draw near to God. They can't go to the tabernacle. So do you see why these laws are of vital importance? If you can't be sure that you are clean and ready to go to the place where God dwells, you can't go. Another important thing that we need to say here, and this is, this is vital for, for feeling the weight of what you have in chapters 11 through 15, even in chapter 16, is this. To say that someone is unclean does not necessarily mean that they have broken one of God's laws or that they are sinful. In fact, one of the things as you read through chapter 11 here and you notice, there's no mention of the fact that the person who is unclean needs to be forgiven. Rather, they just need to be cleansed. So here's, here's an illustration that we have given before. I was told by my son that it was helpful, so I'll give it again. If, uh, if you're a parent and you send your children out to play in the afternoon or in the evening, and they go out to play, and then you, you step outside the door, you call them back to the house because it's dinner time. And here comes little Sammy or little Johnny, and he is absolutely Filthy. He's got mud all over his face, his hands are caked in it, his pants might be torn, right? He, he's just, what are you going to do when little Johnny or little Sammy comes? You're going to say, don't you dare go to the table until you, until you wash up. The kid may have done nothing wrong. He may have just been outside playing, just enjoying life but just merely being out and about in the world dirties him, sullies him, so that he is no longer fit to come sit down at the table to eat with the family. He has to be clean first. Now, he certainly could make himself unclean by doing something sinful, so if, for example, he goes out to play and he picks a fight with a neighbor kid and that's why he's dirty and muddy and even bloody, well, then he's unclean because of the sin that got him into a fight. But in and of itself, the fact that he's unclean doesn't necessarily mean that he is sinful. Nevertheless, even if he has not done anything wrong, he still can't come in. This is what the purity laws demonstrate to God's people. God's holiness is so far beyond anything that we can possibly imagine. That even if we do not disobey or break or transgress one of his laws, even then, we still may not be fit to draw near to him. Even then. So all of this, as strange and odd as what it sounds in chapter 11 about the division of animals into clean and unclean, what you can eat and what you can't eat, what you can touch and what you can't touch, understand even this, as odd as what it sounds to us, even this is a way that God is ensuring that His people will be made fit for His presence. But it's also, as Paul says in Galatians 3, this is a good example of why Paul says that the law was our tutor until Christ. God is teaching His people and us something about what it means for sinful people to dwell with a holy God. So there are three things that we want to consider here in this in this passage. Number one, that living in an unclean world, or we might say something like just simply living in a fallen world, makes God's people unfit for His holy presence. That is to say, unless we can be clean. Number two, another thing that we see in these purity laws concerning the clean and unclean animals is that God has made a distinction between his people and the world. He sees his people differently. And number three, that part of what it means to be complete, or part of what it means to be clean, rather, is to be complete. That is, complete and whole, without any mixture or confusion or contaminant. So number one, living in an unclean world makes God's people unfit for His holy presence. If you start at the end of the chapter in verses 44 through 47, notice that the explanation that God gives for these purity laws regarding the animals and regarding what they can and can't eat starts in verse 44 saying, "'For I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves therefore.'" And be holy, for I am holy. You will not make yourselves unclean with any of these things. Consecrate yourselves and be holy. The the consecrate word there is itself a holiness word, it has the idea of making one holy or holiness by way of separation or creating a distance. So all of these things that the Lord says are unclean, you are to consecrate yourself, you're to separate yourself from those things so that you will remain clean. Because, God says, I am the Lord your God, I am holy, and you will be holy. God intends for His people to know Him and to enjoy Him. But if God is essentially holy, no one can know Him or enjoy Him who in some way is not holy themselves. If God is holy, He will have a holy people. If God is not holy, he doesn't care about whether or not his people are holy. If God is pure, his people must be pure. But for all of this, for all the, the emphasis on the drawing near, on enjoying the presence of God, of knowing Him and being like Him, for this reason, because I am not like any other God. You cannot be like any other people. You must be different and distinct, just like I'm different and distinct. In part of the passage that we read, did you hear how what can make you unclean is not just what you eat or don't eat? you can be made unclean by coming into contact with something that is unclean even if you, don't, even if you never intended to touch it to begin with. Did you, did you hear that, right? So if an animal falls on part of your house, if it falls on one of your farming instruments, that instrument is unclean. If you touch that unclean instrument, you're unclean if an animal drops dead in your yard you can't leave the carcass there to rot you gotta move it you gotta clear it out but the very thing that you have to do makes you unclean you can be minding your own business living your best life and a bird can drop out of the sky with a heart attack and fall on your head and you are unclean you cannot enter into the presence of the Lord I think one of the things that the Lord is communicating to his people in all this is to say that the distance between me and my holiness and you, creatures living in a fallen world, is such that merely living a normal life in a fallen and broken world exposes you and dirties you and contaminates you and makes you unworthy to come into my presence. You, you hear this, by the way, in the New Testament. This is, this is not just something that's in Leviticus. It's carried over into the New Testament. So we finished a series in James. James says at the end of chapter 1, James one twenty seven. pure and undefiled religion is this. Do you, do you hear even those words, pure and undefiled? That is clean religion is this. To visit widows and orphans in their distress and, do you remember what he says? To keep oneself unstained by the world, not contaminated. Any of us who take with any kind of seriousness the holiness of God knows exactly what this is the point that that is being made here. You know that you don't have to go out looking for sinful images or innuendos in order to pervert your mind. Those things will find you in this world, will it not? Sometimes you can't even go into the checkout line at the grocery store without the filth of this world contaminating you. Songs on the radio... Programs, commercials on TV, what we have on Netflix or on streaming, social media, TikTok, Instagram, all these things, just going about in the world, not even looking for sin, doesn't mean that sin won't find us. And even though, even though, On my best days, I may be exposed to some of that filth and may hate the sight of it or the sound of it or flee from it. I can't get away from the fact that once I have seen it, I can't unsee it. That makes us unclean. Even if you never went looking for sin, you would not be clean enough to approach the presence of God. In 1 John, John tells us, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What about, can I, can I love the Father and love a little bit of the world, right? Will, will that count as clean? Do any of you recognize that on any given moment of the day, your heart, whether you will it to do that or not, your heart is pulled in directions that are not from the Father? You're unclean. I'm unclean. We are unclean. And the only way that unclean people can draw near to the presence of the Lord is if they're washed and made clean. But people, that is a washing and that is a cleaning that you will never be able to do for yourself, but Jesus can. And He has. Number two, not only are we contaminated, not only do we wrestle with the dirt and the filth, the uncleanliness of this world as creatures of this world, still trying to enjoy knowing and fellowship with God. Not only does the the worldliness around us affect our ability to do that. But God is also indicating that one of the reasons that He wants His people to be different is not simply so that they can know Him and enjoy Him, that is true. It's not simply because He has redeemed them, but because He has made a distinction between them and all the other peoples of the world. Go back again to the end of Leviticus 11. After saying in verse 44, I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy for I am holy, he says in verse 45, for I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God, thus you will be holy for I am holy. You are to be different. You are to separate yourself. You are to be holy like I'm holy because I did something for you that I didn't do for anyone else. I redeemed you. You're my people. By the way, this is, this is vitally important as well. Do you see here in this, in this statement That the ultimate ground for God's people being different does not really have anything to do with some intrinsic quality that they have. The reason that His people are to be different is because of what God has first done for them. Because I have done something unique for you, you are to be a unique people that reflects that. Flip another few pages over to Leviticus chapter 20. Down to verse 24. So this is after a series of commands where the Lord is talking about purity and obedience and and how the people are to live. Very interesting here, verse 24. Leviticus 20, 24. Hence I have said to you, you are to possess their land, and I myself will give it to you to possess it, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now now listen, pay very close attention. I am the Lord your God who has separated you from the peoples. You are therefore, to make a distinction, it's the same verb actually, you are therefore to separate between the clean animal and the unclean and between the unclean bird and the clean. And you shall not make yourselves detestable by animal or by bird or by anything that creeps on the ground, which I have separated for you as unclean. Thus you are to be holy to me, for I the Lord am holy, and I have set you apart from the peoples to be mine. One of the things that God is doing here, in other words, by giving them clean and unclean animals, by saying, you can touch these, you can eat these, but you can't touch those and you can't eat those, is to communicate to them the idea, the reason that we live this way is because of the way that God has treated us. God sees us differently, and we must see these animals differently. It's a reminder. Every time… You sit down to the table to eat, and only certain foods can be put on the table. You're being reminded that only certain people have been given the privilege to enter into God's presence. Israel among all the peoples of the earth were His chosen people. Israel, because of her special status, was meant to be a gateway for all the other nations and kingdoms of the earth to come in and to enjoy the knowledge and the presence of God. And yet their privileged status was just that. It was a privilege and a tremendous blessing, not owing to anything that they had done. Why did God choose them? It is a way to say that our lives are different because of something different that God has done for us. Titus 3, 3 through 6, for we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. We were just like everyone else. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done, not on righteous works that we have done, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. If any of us here this morning are here because we have been saved and redeemed and set apart, by God through the work of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, it's not owing to us. Peter even goes so far as to say that once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. By the way, just to drive this point home a little bit further, think of, think of it this way. One of, the things to, one of the temptations in Leviticus 11 when, you, when you're reading about the clean and the unclean animals, once again, and this, this is what we're trying to work against, is to, is, to follow, is to begin to develop or cultivate the idea that what makes these animals clean is that they're in some way better than the unclean animals. But that just won't work, will it? Because all of the animals that are mentioned in chapter 11 is what God made in the very beginning in chapter 1, and He declared it good. No, these animals are not qualitatively better than all the other animals, but these animals are being used as an object lesson to you so that you will come to see and know that God sees a difference between His people and the rest. And then number three, the other thing that Leviticus 11 teaches us is that to be clean is to be complete. It seems to be entirely possible that God could have chosen any number of animals, could have, could have made these animals clean and these unclean, or even flipped it, right? Made these clean and those unclean, right? He, he could have done it anyway, but He did it this way. And so that's led to no shortage of discussion in terms of trying to figure out, is, is there some sort of hidden meaning, or is there is there a reason that God designated these animals clean but these unclean, since he made all of them and declared them all good? One of the things that's very interesting as you look through here, and we read it as we were going through, you, do you remember as he goes through sort of these big group classifications, land animals, water creatures, birds, so on and so forth? With the land animals, he says, there are two fundamental qualities that they have to have. They have to have a divided hoof, and they need to chew the cud. Okay? What if they have a divided hoof, but they don't chew the cud? Nope, unclean. Oh, what if they chew the cud, but they don't have a divided hoof? Unclean. All or nothing. With the sea creatures, you can eat and you can touch anything that swims in the sea and has fins and scales. Well, what if it swims in the sea but it doesn't have fins and scales? Can't touch it. But it's a water creature, it's a water animal. It, it'll be good to eat. Nope. Has to be this. Birds of the air, if there's a bird that feeds on dead animals, makes its life by feeding on death unclean to you. You can't come into contact with that. In other words, it seems like one of the things that might be at play here is that the Lord is separating animals out by way of, as a way to say, one of the ways to think about cleanliness is that it has to be a thorough and complete cleanliness. You can't be half clean. You can't be half committed. It's all or nothing. If I have set you apart to be holy, you have to be completely holy. So here's the way this works in the New Testament. Remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, as he's going through the law, and he says, you have heard it said you shall not commit murder. Is that it? As long as you don't commit murder, you're good in God's eyes. No, Jesus says, but I say to you, anyone who's angry with his brother is guilty of sin. In other words, purity and holiness does not just simply mean that you don't murder your neighbor. It means that you don't get angry with your neighbor. It means that you love your neighbor. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, anyone who looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery in his heart already. Is the kind of purity or holiness that God wants just to make sure that we're not hopping from one bed to another? No. Complete and utter purity, not just in your external behavior, but even in the inner mind and in the inner heart. And then turn with me to Mark 7. By the way, Jesus gets to the end of that section in the Sermon on the Mount. And he concludes his teaching on the perfect righteousness that his people are to have and says by saying, therefore, you shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. If you are to be holy, if you are to be clean, if you are to be pure, it is a purity that must be exhaustive. Mark chapter 7, start with me at verse 14, after he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, listen to me all of you and understand, there is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him, but the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable, and he said to them, are you so lacking in understanding also? do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach, and is eliminated. And then notice, thus he declared all foods clean. He suspended Leviticus 11, because Leviticus 11 had served its purpose. But look at what he goes on to say, Verse 20, and he was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. If any one of those things that Jesus just mentioned is true of you, you in your own nature and on your own standing are defiled and cannot enter into the presence of the Lord. Because your heart is unclean. And what Jesus is trying to teach His people in Leviticus 11 that He brings to full circle in the work and the ministry and the teaching of Christ is that God will have a people for Himself who are completely and totally pure and holy, not just in external behavior but in the very core of their being, in the innermost part of the heart. And when we look at statements like that, we say, there is absolutely no way that I can make my heart clean like that. And Jesus would say, you're exactly right. That's why you need me. And that's what we are about to celebrate now, that the Lord has made a way for us to draw near into His presence by providing a clean meal through the body and blood of His Son, so that having been, having feasted on the work of Christ, we can be purified and made clean so that we can know and enjoy the Lord forever. Bow with me in prayer. Father, as we turn our attention to the Lord's table, would you help us to see that were it not for the cleansing work of your Son, we would not be able to draw near to eat, to have fellowship with you, and to enjoy our fellowship with you with one another. Thank you for the way that you have opened up for us. Thank you for your cleansing work. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.
1: If you would turn with me to Psalm twenty four, Psalm twenty four. In the book of Jeremiah, the Lord, through Jeremiah, is rebuking the people for their sinfulness, and he speaks to them in Jeremiah chapter 2 of how he has broken their bonds apart, he has set them free from slavery, he has redeemed them, taken them from Egypt, yet they have gone astray in every way. They have not served the Lord. And so he says in, chapter, in verse 22 of chapter 2, though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me declares the Lord God. How can you say, I am not unclean? I have not gone gone after the Baals. And so the Lord says, look at your way. Be honest with yourself. You, in every way, are unclean and have gone astray. But we desire the Lord. We want to know his presence. We want to know his goodness. We want to know his steadfast love. And so we say, Psalm 24, verse 3, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? Who is going to come and enjoy the presence and the goodness of a holy God, the one that we desire, the one that we long for? And David gives us the answer. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. So there's our answer for who gets to come and enjoy the presence of a holy God. It's the people who have clean hands and a pure heart, in whose souls they're not lifting it up to what is false, and they never speak deceitfully. To which the Lord says, look at your way. Are you coming near to me? Are you ascending the hill of the Lord? Are you standing in my holy place? The answer is no. To which you say, who can come to this table today? Who is worthy to come and eat and enjoy the presence of the Lord and the goodness of the Lord? And we look at our way and we say, no one is worthy to draw near. But Psalm 24 doesn't end there. He turns his attention, David, who's celebrating the coming of the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle to Jerusalem, and he says, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. The King of glory is coming in to dwell with these people who are unholy and unclean, and who's going to enjoy the Lord? Well, if they're honest with themselves, the Lord who's making His presence, known, no one's actually going to be able to enjoy it. But Psalm 24, just as Leviticus is looking ahead to something and someone so much greater, because there would come a time when far more than the Ark of the Covenant would be ushered into Jerusalem. In Matthew chapter 21, we have the King and Lord of glory entering his city. Jesus makes his triumphal entry, and there they celebrate him, but for a moment, because the unclean people representing us ultimately reject and turn away and go astray and put the one who has come to save them on the cross. So as the king of glory comes in, he comes in triumphantly to lay down his life. He comes in to make atonement for us, to take what keeps us apart from a holy God, what defiles us, what makes us unclean. He takes all of that upon himself and goes to the cross, so that we could not just be forgiven, according to 1 John 1, verse 8, but so that we could also, verse 9, we could also be cleansed of all unrighteousness. Not just forgiven, cleansed. So who is worthy to enjoy the presence of the Lord? Who is worthy to come and feast today? Everyone who's in Christ Jesus. That's who. Rejoice rejoice. If we are in Christ, we can come and eat and taste of his goodness and see how glorious our holy God truly is. So, we would invite you, if you are a believer and you have been baptized, the baptism, that act, that outward act symbolizing that God has taken you from death to life and that you are his people and he is your God— then come and partake and rejoice knowing that your sins are dealt with, that you were once unclean but have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you have not yet put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and you have not come and publicly declared through the act of baptism, yes, I'm one of his and he is mine, we are praying for you today and would love to talk to you about the salvation that's found in Jesus and about how to walk in obedience In the act of that, we would love to talk to you today, and we are praying for you. So we would encourage you, feel no shame whatsoever as the cup passes for you, but know we are praying for you and are desirous of both your salvation and walking in obedience to the Lord. And we would love to talk to you more about that. So men, would you come forward to serve the bread? As you would, would you hold on to the bread as we pass it out and we'll partake, partake together when they return. Matthew 26, verse 26, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you would come as the true Passover lamb, the true lamb of God. To take upon yourself all that made us unclean to become sin on our behalf so that we could be made righteous so that we could be cleansed so that we can come and be reconciled to the father we thank you lord jesus for your sacrifice for your love we thank you that you would give up your body on our behalf so that we could have life in you and so we come remembering and confessing our sins before you rejoicing in the salvation that's found in you because of what you have done. Offer your glory and our good in you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's drink. Lord Jesus, as we come, And eat and drink together we come not just proclaiming your death on our behalf for the forgiveness of sins but we also come proclaiming and looking forward to your resurrection in the day when we will eat and drink with you and feast with you for all eternity in your kingdom we pray as we long for that day that you would sustain us and keep us and hold us fast that having been purified and made clean, that you would continue to empower us by your Spirit to walk in righteousness, to walk in purity, to walk in ways that honor you, and please you, and glorify you in all things. For God, while we walk in this world that is filled with sin and corruption, you have given us your Spirit to lead us and guide us in paths of righteousness, just as our Savior Jesus walked. So would you empower us to do just that? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. Let's stand together as we close by singing the doxology.
2: Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him.